Our reading today is taken from Acts 25 and again read by David Suchet, the well-known actor. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus, as a favour to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood round him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they couldn't prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. The next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. 
The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. We are nearly at the end of our studies in the book of Acts. We have today Acts 25, and then we have 26 and 27 and 28 to go through. And then we finish this most marvellous book, talking about, telling us about how the early church grew from being in Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the, the world, the known world. And we're going to find Paul ending up in Rome in a couple of weeks' time. I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 9, the famous chapter where it tells the story of Paul as he was then Saul's conversion. Jesus appears to Paul, to Saul, and uh, he's blinded. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 9, the Lord called to a man called Ananias. And the Lord says to Ananias, go to the home of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority uh, to arrest to all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, those words from the Lord to Ananias were very clearly fulfilled in the life of Paul. As we've gone through Paul's life, we've seen him suffer many things. We've seen him stoned at Lystra. We've seen him imprisoned at Philippi. We've seen him run out of town in many towns and cities as he, because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've seen him suffer many things. And here we have seen him been arrested and pushed around a bit. Uh, falsely accused, he has suffered in all kinds of ways. And we've also seen that he preached to many different peoples. As Ananias heard from the Lord, Paul's going to preach before Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And that's all been proved to be true. I was reading this week about uh, the missionary journeys of Paul, and I didn't realise this fact that scholars estimate that on Paul's three missionary journeys, 
uh, ranging from AD 47 through to 57, they estimate that Paul traveled 10,000 miles. Now remember, there are no cars, there are no bicycles, there are no buses, no coaches. Most of those 10,000 miles would have been traveled by walking on foot. We do know that Paul traveled several times uh, by sail from one place to another, but the majority of his traveling would have been by, uh, by foot, walking. And that must have been quite a trial for him as well. He must have suffered many things. And he says in that famous chapter in 2 Corinthians about all the trials and tribulations that he, he went through. Now, one of the things I talked about when we first started to study the book of Acts was for you to note the time references. I said right at the beginning of our studies that it's very easy to fall into the trap of reading Acts and thinking all these things happen very quickly, very quickly in sequence, one after another in a very short time. But that's not the case. It may interest you, I think I said in one of those earlier sermons, that Paul, from the moment he got converted, he went to Antioch, and it wasn't until 12 to 13 years later that he was sent on that first missionary journey from Antioch. In other words, God prepared his man well. And here... Did you notice in our studies, uh, we have the fact that two years passed when Paul was in prison um, by the order of Felix. And uh, two years, just a verse. We don't know what happened in those two years. Paul was probably in or under house arrest. It says uh, in the text, in the earlier text, in chapter 24, verse 23, Paul was given some freedom And he was given permission for his friends to take care of his needs. So be aware of the time references in Acts. Let's move on into the text itself. We left Paul under the authority of Felix. And this man Felix was then succeeded by Porcius Festus. And uh, Felix, it says in the last verse of chapter 24, kept Paul in prison in order to grant a favour to the Jews. So Paul was kept for that, those two years, left in prison because Felix wanted to give the Jews a favour. Now remember last week's sermon, we talked about lives of integrity. And clearly this man was not a man of integrity. He gave Paul Uh, put Paul in prison, kept him there in order to gain some kind of uh, support from the Jews, to do the Jews a favour. And then we're told in the text, this man Festus comes on the scene. He uh, takes over from Felix. Now, we don't know much about this man Festus. We uh, don't know much about him at all, in fact. The Jewish historian Josephus says in his writings that Festus, and I quote, was an improvement on Felix. We know that Felix was a ruthless man, a tyrant, a slave who had made good, and who was, however, a very cruel man. 
But Festus was an improvement, and we're told by Josephus that Festus was a man who governed by the book. He was a stickler for dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And he was also much kinder than Felix. And Festus Festus, uh, orders Paul to appear before him. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 25. Now remember, I talked about Caesarea being the seat of uh, government for the Romans. It was on the coast, it had beaches. Roman uh, governors did move to Jerusalem on occasions for business, but uh, they only went there for legal business and they, they planted themselves very much in Caesarea. So two years elapse before Festus comes on the scene. Let's stop there and just think a moment. Two years elapse, but still the Jews, according to the text, are still hostile towards Paul. They're still trying to get Paul. They obviously had a deep dislike, maybe hatred of Paul. They can't let things go. They're coming after Paul again. They didn't get their way with Felix, but they're coming after Paul in the next governor, Festus, to try and get Paul killed. Now let's uh, look at verse 4. Festus puts forward the idea, Paul is being held at Caesarea to the Jews, I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. And after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea and he had Paul brought before them. And we have the same scenario again, this time not with Felix and the the Jewish leaders, but with Festus and the Jewish leaders coming down to make, the Jewish people are coming down to make serious charges against Paul. And again, the text says, which they could not prove. Could not prove. And so it happens all all over again. The same scenario happens with Festus and Paul and the Jewish leaders as happened with Felix. And this time, however, Paul decides that he's not going to get a a fair trial. So he appeals to go to Caesar and face Caesar. And he says, quite simply, I appeal to Caesar. That was something a Roman citizen could do. And after conferring with the council, Festus says, Paul, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you must go. And Caesar, of course, was the highest person in the land. Now, I want to stop there and just take you back to chapter 23 and verse 11. Because if you remember, after facing the Sanhedrin, Paul is taken back into prison. And in verse 11 of chapter 23, it says this, The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And this appeal to Caesar is how Paul gets to Rome. 
And eventually, he's going to uh, face the Emperor Nero. And let me tell you something about Nero. Nero was a crazed man, um, a debauched man. Um, Yes, crazy, debauched, everything that you would not want in a leader. And eventually, Nero would take Paul's life, not immediately when Paul got to Rome, but Nero did have Paul executed, not through the normal way of execution, crucifixion. Paul was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens were executed by chopping their heads off. That's how it all ended for Paul. Now, in verse 13, um, we're introduced to another character. A few days later, in verse 13 of chapter 25, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. King Agrippa at this time uh, ruled over a part of Judea, and uh, he is a very interesting character and comes from a very interesting background. He belongs to the family of Herod. This man, Agrippa, here is King Agrippa II, and he's the last in the line of the Herod dynasty. After this Herod, King Agrippa II, the dynasty dies out. And King Agrippa II has mixed background. He's Jewish and Edomite. Now, let me tell you something about his background, his family. Um, King Agrippa II, his father, was Herod Agrippa I. And this Agrippa I, he's the one who had James beheaded in one of the early chapters of Acts. And he's the one who put Peter in prison, wanted to kill him, but Peter miraculously escaped. And this Agrippa I, the father of Agrippa II, he's the one in Acts 12, if you know your Bibles well, who presented himself with great pride and pomp and ceremony, I'm the greatest kind of thing, and it says God punished him. He was eaten by worms, the text says. You go back from Agrippa II to his grandfather, Uh, this guy is called Herod Antipas. And he's the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. And then you go to his great-grandfather, Herod the Great, and he's the one who had the babies killed at the time of Jesus' birth. You can see this family is not a good family. But this Agrippa II, he knows about Christianity And this is going to be a very interesting kind of uh, uh, face-to-face confrontation which we're going to study next week. Did you notice in the text, a few days later, verse 13, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. This was a dumb thing in the ancient world. One leader would go and visit the other leader and pay compliments to him. But I want you to notice something. This woman, Bernice, who's mentioned. Bernice was Agrippa II's sister. But she had moved in with her brother. And again, the first century uh, historian Josephus mentions the fact that, that everybody thought there was an incestuous sexual relationship going on between Agrippa II and his sister, Bernice. 
And if it's uh, interesting to you, do notice that whenever Agrippa is mentioned in the text, Bernice is mentioned as well. You can see that in verse 13, you can see it in verse 23, and you can see it in the next chapter, in chapter 26, verse 30. They're locked at the hips, they're joined at the hips, brother and sister, and maybe much more than that. And Bernice eventually became the mistress of Vespasian, who became the, uh, the emperor of Rome, and he's the emperor who, in AD 70, destroyed the city of Jerusalem and burnt down the, uh, the temple. Let's pick up the story a bit later in uh, chapter 25. In, in verse 23, when Paul appears before Agrippa, it says there in the text, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Now I want you to use your imagination here for this scene. It says he... Agrippa came in with great pomp. It's interesting, the word, the Greek word used there is fantasia, um, which means a display, a fantasy. He comes in looking the part. He's the, he's the, gov- he's the, the ruler. He's the king. So imagine the scene there. He's the king. Imagine then Paul being brought in, probably coming from some kind of house arrest, Maybe from prison, we don't know quite. But Paul was brought in looking very ordinary in comparison with King Agrippa. Now, never in scripture are we given descriptions of the physical appearance of any of the characters. But there's very interesting um, little reference outside of the scriptures as to what the Apostle Paul looked like in physical appearance. And it says this, Paul was short in stature, he was bald, he had a hooked nose, thick thick eyebrows, he was bow-legged, and we can probably add to that that he probably squinted as We know that Paul had some eyesight problems. So imagine the scene. Two vastly different people in appearance. Two vastly different people in authority in one sense. And here they are facing one another. And as we will see next week, Paul will give a marvellous, a most marvellous defence and proclamation of the gospel. So let's uh, again go back to the text. And uh, again, I think um, Luke has his humorous side uh, on show here because from verse 23, Festus has this problem. Um, I'm going I'm to send this man, Paul, back uh, up to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. I've got to do it. But what am I going to say to Caesar? What am I going to write in the letter? What am I going to say? I found he's done nothing deserving of death, but he's made his appeal to, but I've got nothing definite to write to the emperor about him. And that's where we we pick up the story in in Acts 26, which we're going to study, as I say, next week. 
I've got to have something to write. Where am I going to write? Gripper says, let him speak to me and perhaps this will help us. So let me conclude this chapter. It's, it's, it's a great narrative, again. Uh, all these different characters. Paul is meeting these kings and these people of authority and having the chance to proclaim Jesus Christ, his own Lord and Saviour. And I just want to conclude by saying this man in, in Paul is, is a very impressive character for me, always has been. Because here he turns once again a trial into a testimony. And he turns opposition into an opportunity. All for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Amen.